Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. I've taken from my text the first verse of Psalm 127, which for those of you who will read even song this evening will be the first, a second psalm you read. Except the Lord build the house, those that build it do so in vain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. My career as a priest has been varied. Parish priest, missionary evangelist, uh, traveler between here and Europe, traveler all over North America. And I have probably been in every kind of Orthodox church there is that exists. Big ones, little ones, uh, things in between. Churches that I have founded, churches that I have come in to take over, such as this one, churches that I was sent to because a priest had to be removed and they needed a warm body. If you name it, I've been in it. Antiochian, OCA, Greek, whatever there may be. I've been on the inside of those congregations as pastor and, and running them or at least pretending to run them. I have been often, and in later years, more and more on the outside of those congregations, as I worked with those people who were groups coming towards the Orthodox Church, but already had a leader, or we had somebody who preached and taught and, and did whatever worship services they did. And so I was able to stand and look from the outside, and I've also done that, uh, as we established a program, which I don't think exists anymore, in which we would, uh, free of charge, which I thought would get them, free of charge, in which I or one of those who had w worked with me in the missions department would come into that congregation and, in a sense, do a survey, an efficiency study, whatever you want to call it. We would survey the pastor, we would survey the congregation, we would see how they interacted, we would see how they operated alone, and then make gener uh, uh, gen uh, well, generalizations, but make suggestions as to things that could be done that could improve the corporate life of the parish. For example, check weapons at the door before parish council meetings. I actually had to do that in one congregation. Because it's in, in interesting how dysfunctional many Christian churches are in the terms in which they function, in the terms in which they even get along with each other, even when they like each other. Much of what we do in church and I say this with both frustration and sadness, and it's an observation of 43 years of all of this distilled together. And I'm not, by the way, talking about necessarily this congregation or you or you, but possibly you, that 
Very little of what we do in our churches has anything to do with religion. Has very little to do with religion. My work and study has taught me that there are profound differences between how the church functions today, the way in which we see how a church ought to function, the way in which we think things should be going, and how they functioned in the time of the apostles. And if we are ever, ever going to get back to the point where we have any influence in this society, and my point being is that we have almost none. We have almost none. We're going to have to go back and study some biblical theology, particularly Paul's epistles and the book of Acts. In the epistle reading today, Paul writes, Brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all what I also received, how the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen as Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain, and some have fallen asleep. Last of all, he was seen of James, and then me also as one born out of due time. In other words, past the time he was supposed to be brought to birth. Notice he says, I declare unto you the gospel wherein I preached unto you, for I delivered first of all what I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If we look at the congregations that made up the New Testament church, Jerusalem, Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, Antioch, and all of the others, what distinguished them, what were their characteristics, and how were they different from what we do today? What Paul presents here was called the early church's catechma, its teaching. And he refers to another place as my gospel. This is what I present to you. My gospel. But it was given to him, and then he gave it to others. This is what we mean by the word tradition, paradosis, traditio that we receive something, that we receive something that is so precious, so incredibly life-shattering and changing, that we have to pass it on. I have a uh, stopwatch that was owned by my great-great-grandfather who fought in the Civil War, getting badly wounded at the Battle of Talladega. So they mustered him out of the Union Army. He fought under Sherman and was sent home. I've got the watch he carried through the Civil War. It works beautifully, by the way. Whoever made it did a fantastic job. It works very, very nicely. He gave it to somebody, to one of his sons. That son, 
I believe eventually died in a car accident, but he died somewhere along the line. Don't hold me to the details. And so being the firstborn son of the firstborn son, in other words, the crown prince of Wales, it was given to me. And since I'm a history Greek, I went nuts. I mean, this was a watch that my great-great-grandfather, and I've got a picture of him, by the way, or what they would have called a tintype or a daguerreotype in those years, uh, in his uniform uh, with the bayonet artificially co colored in there and what have you, which is only about this high. But when I was 10, it was this high, and it scared the bejesus out of me because I had to go past that picture every time I had to go from my bedroom to the restroom and back. Interesting story, I'll tell you about that sometime. That watch is tradition. That watch is something precious that is take given and then hand it on, as Paul is saying here. Now, since my son is dead and showed no great interest in it anywhere, and since my granddaughter would cheerfully live in a museum, she's going to get the watch, because I know it will be cared for and taken care of. And she has two sons, and one of them, I hope the quiet one, will get that watch. Tradition is something that is precious, that is given to us. We make ours, but we don't keep it. We pass it on to the next generation. This is what Paul is talking about here. So what this spirit, this proclamation, the spirit-filled fellowship that came into, the, into existence at Pentecost and profoundly changed both people and the world should still be doing so today. So what has happened? Because we've lost it. We're not doing that. With rare exceptions, I would never say never, because then my car would start again, and I might be able to get home. It is something which has ceased to be as obvious as it was before. Unless you're wrong to some, you know, happy, slappy, flappy, uh, in which it lasts approximately two or three months, and then you go off and, and find yourself something else. What was different between then and now? Number one, it was a fellowship of people whom had had a soul-shaking personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I know it sounds Baptist, get over it. They lived walked, worried, ate, and argued with Christ for three years. Nothing. He was nothing like they knew. He was nothing. He was nothing like they expected the Messiah, the Mashiach, to be. And this was the turning point of their lives, coming up smack against someone they couldn't figure out, they couldn't manipulate, they could not get around, and half the time they couldn't even understand. And yet they were drawn personally to him. Jesus wasn't running a corporation. 
He hadn't put people in charge of various departments. It was a family. This was the turning point of their lives. Today's parish fellowship, what happens there, shows a personal relationship of the, uh, of the reality of Jesus. In our food festivals, our Mediterranean festivals, if you're in a uh, Russian church, our Monte Carlo nights, our bingo, and our constant redecorating. Remember, when the going gets tough, the tough redecorate. Until the experience of the disciples of the resurrection and Pentecost become ours. Fill our hearts and our souls. Until that happens, nothing of, all, of any real religious significance will take place in our churches. Oh, they'll continue on, and some will do so quite wonderfully. Some will do some almost, you know, I mean, when I, when I was at St. Elias, all I did was to push a button, and the whole thing just ran by itself. If people needed me, they called me, you know. But it, it, it did everything. We had a food festival, a Mediterranean food festival, because if you don't do that, you get thrown out of the archdiocese. You had a Mediterranean food festival. A week later, the Melkites, who were also Arabs, had a Mediterranean food festival. And the month after that, the Maronites, who were also Lebanese, had their own food festival. And we would bring in 45 to 50 thou every single time we did that. Our church had no debt. The mortgage had been paid off. We didn't owe anyone anything except for electricity, and yet the ladies, young and old, knocked themselves out every year, cramping out kibba and tabula and kafta, and godly knows what else the white guy will buy. Well, because, Father, that's what we do. It is tradition. And every other Orthodox church in this city, I'm sure, does some variation thereof. Because, you see, it gives the impression of working. It gives the impression of movement. It gives the sense that you're, 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 you're doing something. And when I, I wasn't as old as I am now, but I wasn't a kid either. I was probably in my mid-40s. Suggested that out of that 45, 50 thou, we might give a thousand to the missions program. They literally looked at me as if I were demented. And I said, what's wrong with that? Well, Father, the church might burn down which had happened once before in the history of some yahoo went out, left a candle lighting after and the whole thing burned to the ground. Which was why in those days, later clergy have reversed this, we had all electric candle lights in front of the icons and everything. everything was electric. Because the older people were terrified. Now we had insurance. We had enough insurance to rebuild the whole church if we had to, but we had to hang on to that money because the church might burn down, plus we had to improve the bathroom. We had the best bathrooms in the Antiochian Archdiocese. The only thing we didn't have were professional masseuses standing by during the coffee hour. 
but we had to raise money. It was just inbred in the genes. That's what you had to do. The second quality which distinguished the New Testament church from us was the genuineness of its trust in God through Christ. They believed, and their belief was so powerful that they were willing to commit everything in confidence to God. They believed they did not worry of that God was actually in charge, and they did not worry about their own self-preservation. Hence, no need for Mediterranean food festivals. No need to get out there and dance having a gila in front of the church to improve, try to get the Gentiles to come in and look around and see how pretty it was. Because they didn't have any buildings. We didn't have buildings for 300 years. There was one attempt, I forget, somewhere in Asia Minor, where a group of Christians allowed themselves to get ahead of the curve and built a purpose-built church. The Romans tore it down and executed every one of them. They just got just a little, little too, just 150 years too early. Yeah. But there were no churches to support. You take a house, you turn it into a church. The earliest church we have comes from the 200s. It's in Dury Europus, which is Turkey today. And it's a house turned into a church. Altar at one end, baptistry in a separate building, probably sipped on coffee or whatever their version. Oh, they probably had coffee. It was the Middle East and another room. And that was it. You lose it, no big deal. Somebody else donates a house. So they committed everything to God. They, they did not worry about, they worried about doing God's will, not the parish councils. Because they believed they had no fear. Because they had no fear, they confronted the world with a challenge, and because they challenged, they were listened to. And this was possible because the New Testament Christian had a simple and unswerving faith in God. The third mark of difference between New Testament communities and us was that they knew that they were spirit-filled and spirit-led. The Holy Spirit had been sent to them, therefore nothing, absolutely nothing, was impossible. The task of the parish was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. No pressure. The early church was like a beehive in reverse. There was a coming in and a going out. But the coming in was in order to get strength from fellowship, prayer, and the body and blood of Jesus Christ in order that the precious word of salvation, Jesus Christ is crucified and risen from the dead and you are forgiven of your sins, could be proclaimed. Everything else was subservient to that. Not building buildings, raising money except for the poor, or providing people with good companionship and decent business contract, contacts. That's not what they were about. They would have laughed. They really would have. Hey, Charlotte, do you hear this guy over here? Yeah, oh God, what a loon. The fourth characteristic of New Testament Christianity was the awareness of sin 
and the gladness of being forgiven. Forgiveness gave them a tremendous sense of freedom. This was particularly important because all the first Christians were Jews. And for them, there was only one place you could be forgiven, and that was at the temple in the synagogue. I'm sorry, that was at the temple in Jerusalem. You went there. I don't know whether there was a form of confession or not. I really don't know. But you sacrificed an animal. Your sins were symbolically, in fact, it was called once a year at Yom Kippur, the scapegoat. Some poor sheep or goat was drug in there. And people laid hands on it and the sins of all the community were laid on it. And they cut its throat and let it run out into the desert. That's how they got absolution. That's how God told them to get absolution. That's what he said you should do in the temple. It became, with regular confessors and forgiveness, easier to overcome temptation. This is what they learned. They felt not only clean, but restored to fellowship in Christ. Today, there are Orthodox congregations that are often not aware of sin. Confessions maybe once a year or never. Half of the parish I belong to in Eustis, which is Western right like this, is Lebanese. These people came over, you know, with the usual worker ant thing. You send one family over to check it out. And if the natives don't dismember them and cook them, uh, then they write home and say, hey, this looks a good place, you know. And so all of a sudden, within three years, we've got 20 Lebanese families in our congregation. Who could care less about the form of worship? They are in favor of anything that gets them out 10 minutes early for coffee and cigarettes. And so the fact that this is shorter than the Byzantine liturgy is way cool as far as they're concerned. Uh, their children, and I think this is kind of funny and ironic, their children have grown up in the Western Rite. Their children have an acolytes in the Western Rite. And when they go back to Lebanon, they visit the, oh, Mom, how long is this going to take? God, it's just awful. Please. So much for culture and worship. Forgiveness gives you a sense of freedom. But today, few people have a sense of a need for forgiveness unless they do something really, 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 really bad. And then they know it. And they know they have to be forgiven for it. Otherwise, hey, I don't drive any worse than that jackass on the freeway that I just went past. So why should I think that I have to repent for something like that? There are congregations that are not often aware of sin. There are congregations that are so big, and we have churches that have three to 5,000 people in, in our archdiocese, and the Greeks some more. My wife's own parish has 3,000 members. There's no way you set up confessions. If somebody calls and says, can I come down? Yeah, fine, come on down. But everybody show up Saturday night, not going to happen. And when these poor people, and I love them dearly, many of them have become very good friends from Lebanon, came to Eustace, they had never been to confession in their lives. We had to show them what to do. We had to show them what to say. 
But in the New New Testament church, they had been made a new people in Christ. Well, most of us, to be honest, we have to say are the same people we've been for years and years and years and years. Finally, the New Testament church placed little value on any organization or activity which did not contribute to three things. Three things. Organization was necessary for worship. Organization was necessary for teaching. And organization was necessary for collecting alms for the poor. And that was it. It meant being in a changed relationship to God, a new quality of life, not materially but spiritually, and a joyous expectancy toward the future because God was in charge. How many Orthodox churches function like this? How many? We're always scrambling for that last nickel. So we got something in the bank just in case something bad goes wrong, or if the architect who's building our new temple of God, even though you could throw a grenade in the place we got now and not hurt anybody, for our new temple of God is going to up this rate by maybe $100 or $200. We have lost our focus. We have lost our focus completely. Now, this is not the end of the sermon, but the second half is going to come in two weeks. This I simply want you to ponder, to think, to pray about. Accept the Lord build the house. Their labor is but lost that build it. Unless we return to the foundation of New Testament Christianity, our work will be in vain. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.